Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Connor Whiteley, bringing you with psychology news, articles and other interesting psychology related articles. You where I can find the podcast notes and more interesting psychology related things and you can get your free 8 psychology book box set at connorwhiteley.net. Now let's get on to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 152 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Con Wiley. And today's episode is on mental health, what is admissible in a court. So this is such a great, really brilliant podcast episode that actually intersects between clinical psychology and forensic psychology. So this is going to be such a really enjoyable episode for all of you because... If you've been like watching the news lately, then you might have come across the like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Personally, I've not looked into it too much, but I know that different psychologists have actually been called to testify, including clinical, forensic, and their former um, marriage accounts of their work. And the reason why we actually need to look at this um, topic is that probably during their um, marriage sessions, like they probably thought to, to, that they think that they were going to be talking about was a completely confidential and under no circumstances could it be admissible to court. But that's not how it worked. So that's why in today's really interesting episode, episode they're like, we're actually going to focus on what is admissible and most importantly why is it so this is just an episode that i just love because i really do love when um, psychology and the law intersects so uh, moving on to psychology news section we're reading from the british psychological society research digest and the first one is hallucinations are surprisingly common and varied experiences Many mentally well people experience hallucinations an estimate of 6 to 15 percent of us hear, see, feel, or even smell things that aren't real. But there, but there has been little research into what those hallucinations are like and how they might differ from those experiences by people with psychosis. Now, Masha L. M. J. Lindsay at, at Utrecht University and her colleagues report the results of a large study of more than 10,000 people aged 14 to 88. Eight, the work published in Schizophrenia throws up a few surprises amongst a host of interesting findings. findings. So I won't go into too much about the individual details of the, of the report. So, but this is actually leading to a quite an interesting shift in like, the research because hallucinations, if you went back a few years ago, then the majority of the people like, would have said that only the mentally unwell and all, <laughs> yes, and all of that really like, um, negative connotations would suffer from hallucinations. But now we're starting to realise that all of us also, uh, yeah, we're, like, also suffer from like, hallucinations. Sometimes they're very infrequent. Sometimes people would just like, don't have them, but sometimes people do have them like, quite a lot, as mentioned in this uh, research. And I know on the podcast before, like we've also spoken about different like hallucinations and also like how common now they are. So interesting though, and it's a good to, and it's a good though, that we're starting to move away from the like negative side of like hallucinations as to the more sort of I don't know like accepting a factor that other people do or have them too, and it doesn't make them um insane. And the second one is job seekers prefer to work for more diverse companies. Diversity at work has become a bigger and bigger focus, and not just for employees. Employees are increasingly interested in the issue, with 69% of millennials and Gen Zers 
<laughs> that's such a good word. Um, saying that they are much more likely to work for an employer, employer for more than five years if they have an if they have a, a diverse workforce. A new study finds that job seekers are even willing to explore jobs with lower salaries when their companies are more diverse. It finds that shown information about diversity makes job postings more attractive to job seekers, even when the pay is lower. Oh, now that's really interesting, and um, because. I don't know, because a past me like would have thought that were that uh, people would uh, be like opposite that were were and of course it depends on uh, your own like political orientation and like whatnot because some people would not want to work for a diverse company like like whatsoever, but other people would personally but also because I think one of the biggest problems with the working in environment is that uh, is that the vast majority of like companies they're so monolithic, they're just such of the same that were yeah, you know, but the like but that is what is actually quite nice about working in a very like, diverse a company that because you will get to meet a, like different people with different egg experiences and you will can actually learn like tons about like different uh, people and how they live. For example, like I'm a student ambassador or with my like, university and like uh, through that I, I get to meet different uh, people with my like, different like, nationalities, different um, socioeconomic backgrounds like. And they live in like in different parts of the country there, so that makes it more interesting uh, to actually like get into uh, conversations with them. So, yes, overall a very um enlightening article. And the last one is, people prone to mind wandering are better at shifting uh, between the tasks. Letting your mind wander whilst you're meant to be working on a task doesn't sound like a particularly good idea. Indeed, uh, uh, psychologists have viewed mind wandering in this uh, context as a failure. Specifically, a failure of executive control to maintain focus. Evidence that mind wandering worsens the performance on the tasks that taps into working in our memory, for example, supports this idea. However, the full picture is, that it is not so neat. Though old adults generally have poorer executive control than younger people, they tend to report less mind wandering. And some studies that require young adults to switch between various tasks have found that minor wandering makes a notable difference to their performance. Performance. So this is perplexing, notes the author of a new paper in consciousness and cognition, at least in the context of the traditional theories. But Jingzhi Wan at University of Ogtano, New Zealand, and our colleagues reports findings that support an alternative idea that people who have a tendency to mind or wonder and enjoy greater cognitive flexibility, that is, they can shift more easily from one type of cognitive change to another. So while whilst there's not a great amount that I can actually say about this particular psychology news um, article, well, I always think that it's really important to actually like look wider than the more like traditional methods. And kind of like considering how old some of these traditional theories are, yeah, they definitely need updating that were. So I hope you enjoy the psychology news section. So let's move on to the personal update. So about this week, I've been uh, doing a number of like different like, business uh, pieces. Some of them psychology focused, some of them <laughs> just like not in the uh, slightest. But in uh, terms of like psychology, uh, well, I've been like continuing more with uh, my like, psychology placement, uh, but uh, um, not enough to actually like comment on it and actually like go into any uh, depth about it. But the interesting thing that I do want to uh, talk to you about uh, is that I at least want to uh, mention what I'm well at my final year project, which I'll. Uh, be starting in like September. 
Initials that well is an EEG study that focuses on um, the um, alpha waves in the brain because alpha waves is actually to do with like cognition and actually like effort and concentration. Concentration that was I had to find the like correct words there, <laughs> yeah, because of course like cognition actually encompasses all of our mental processes. <laughs> But alpha waves, yes, like the more alpha waves that a you know, person has when it comes to their brain waves, yes, but like the more concentrating like, that they actually are. So, but that is a really good um, way yeah, to uh, measure learning, that concentration, etc. Though, so, uh, so we're uh, using AEG. What we hope to achieve uh, next year is that whilst they're doing a like particular task, we'll be able to like measure their brain waves and actually like see. Uh, which regions of the brain aren't being involved in um, effort and uh, concentration. Uh, so I think that that's really interesting because EEGs, uh, they are one of the more, I don't know how to put this, I would say they're definitely one of the more temperamental because the problem is, is that you need to make sure like, as a and you don't blink, you don't clench your teeth, you don't move your head, etc, etc, because otherwise it really does make the um, data quite muddled. Yeah, well, like, I'm huddled though. So, I'm definitely a bit, like, problematic though. But I am really looking forward to using EEGs. Yeah, the only thing that I need to make sure that I don't do is that I don't accidentally stab anyone in the head using, that, like, blunt needles that you inject the like, electrolyte gel with. Because someone actually did that to me once. I was not impressed. Because even though those are things are blunt, <laughs> if someone jabs you, like, with enough force, that they can definitely hurt. And always, I always love to hear your and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, connorwiley.net. You can always leave a comment on the show notes at connorwiley.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at SciFiWiley. I always love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And today's episode has been sponsored by Forensic Psychology, which is such a brilliant sponsor for today's episode. Because in today's episode, we're mainly going to be looking at course and the whole legal side of psychology which a forensic psychology actually focuses on so this absolutely brilliant book which is really in engaging really easy to understand and it has a, such a, a conversational tone which is so much better than the adult boring textbook so that we all like know and love not <laughs> it actually has an, an entire section on that course yeah, but like on that course and how forensic psychologists have actually in those in the whole courtroom um, process. In addition, to actually going on to the like much larger bits. For example, the theories of imprisonment, the theories of offending, sex offending, etc. That was this is such a great book that really does go into so much um, depth about forensic psychology. So I cannot recommend this book enough. So that is a forensic psychology available from all major ebook and audiobook retailers. And you can get the paper and the hardback version from Amazon, your local bookstore or local library if you request it. So that's enough for the person update, so let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So moving on to the content part of today's episode, so we're going to be talking about mental health, what is admissible? So this is just such a brilliant podcast episode that I'm actually quite surprised that it's taken me like this long to actually cover something like this because this is just so critical in my opinion and like a to the whole legal process. So let's like dive into it. Prison and past mental states. 
whilst I haven't been following the Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp trial because it's <laughs> it, it seriously does not interest me, I am aware that there has been a lot of um, therapists and a forensic psychologists testifying about the mental health state of a, of a both of them, and this is where our first area comes in. Since in a court proceedings, a person's current and past mental state can be called into question and asked to be examined. This includes, but really is not limited to, but does the client have any min, um, history of a mental health conditions or addiction? As well as all of this includes information that was provided to the therapist under confidentiality. In addition, in order for a court to properly understand the domestic situation, a marriage counsellor, for example, might be called in to give evidence and explain what both parties, or just one, if that's all that um, they have helped, told them about the living situation and the events. Also, a therapist would have to turn over most of private communications, diagnoses and other sensitive information to the spouse's counsel and slash or the court as well as either party in the proceedings, may call the therapist to a stand to testify as an expert witness on the client's or their opponent's mental and emotional state. For example, if you look at the current trial, that's going on, going on um, in the trial, Dr. Anderson, who was served as the couple's marriage counsellor, gave the court a sworn testimony and that there was a mutual abuse between the couple, as well as Dr. Curry testified that Amber Heard was given a, a, a diagnosis of a borderline personality disorder, something that Amber Heard's psychologist doesn't agree with, and testified that she studies from post-traumatic stress disorder due to the trauma from Johnny Depp. However, what we're actually interested in is that these are conversations that the couple were probably believed were personal and private are now in the public domain for lots of people to read, something that could actually be very, very scary for different people for different reasons. But the problem with this example is the couple is a very popular, famous and very, very high, high profiled. So what is admissible in their court for normal people? Well, it turns out that that question is actually very flawed because a lot of personal information that you would never imagine would actually come to light because of confidentiality does end up coming out in a court. Regardless of how high profile what you are, due to it is fairly common for people in the court proceedings to have a history of mental health challenges, regardless of whether it is both or just one of the parties in those, or that these people have been known to see a therapist or a counsellor. Therefore, because they have a mental health record, that needs to be submitted into evidence, as well as uh, it is fairly common that to have expert testimony given by mental health professionals. And you never know, but one of you might be asked to give uh, expert um, witness testimony like one day. Personally, I think that would actually be like great, and and personally, I would actually quite like to uh, give that at some point in the far, far future. Furthermore, when it comes to a child custody cases, uh, the parents in this situation tend to waive their right to but confidentiality. Due to in custody cases, the court must decide what is in the best interest of the child, which means that the need for transparency is extremely important, as the court must, well, must understand if one or both of the parents has health or mental health difficulties. As a result, to better understand the entire situation, a court may order a therapist to, to turn over the patient's most private diagnoses, communications and other sensitive information to the court, and opposing counsel. Also, we're on the topic of the custody battles. If both parents undergo a mental health evaluation, then 
Then the affair piece of all what most probably happened to turn over all of their notes, medical records, amongst other things as well. Then, in like some incidences, the courts have ordered an inner camera with over several years of a person's mental health records, with this being a illegal parlance from a process in which a judge privately looks at confidential, private, or sensitive information to determine which material is a, is a relevant and that should be and it should be shared with the opposing counsel. Personally, I'm actually really glad that there is a legal mechanism that helps to protect people with mental health conditions, because you obviously don't want every little detail about your history to be turned over to the um, opposing counsel, if it isn't relevant. So it is important that there is a type of protection to prevent this from prevent this overgiving, if you will. For example, there was one such case where her mother's medical records showed that she had been hospitalised 15 times over the span of 10 years because of her mental health conditions, resulting in the court deciding that she would be unable to give the child proper and adequate care. How do people prepare for court? Of course, nothing on this podcast is ever, ever any sort of official advice, but it's interesting to look at the type of things that people, including our psychologists, um, do to prepare for these court proceedings. For instance, mental health professionals must prepare them themselves for handing over all of the notes and files that are relevant to the client in question if they are ordered by the court to do so. Additionally, if a parent has been asked to provide this information, then it is absolutely imperative that they ensure that their legal team is told everything and all of the issues that will be revealed so that the legal teams can prepare themselves, their questions and any way to possibly get the information thrown out. Conclusion However, I do want to finish up by saying something that will remind us all about the true emotion of this time. Whatever step of the process we are in involved in, whether we are the psychologists in those or the actual people in the um, court proceedings, this is a very stressful time for everyone. So please look after your mental health during this extremely stressful time. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and I hope that you um, learned something and got something out of it. Personally, I, I think that when I say agroecology in the abstract with the law, then I think that, that is just such an interesting topic there, right? Because it really does emphasize like the important role in the important role uh, that like psychology has to play in our uh, justice and uh, the legal system so this really does help forensic uh, psychology establish itself and uh, this is definitely an area that i uh, hope to do future uh, podcast episodes on so if you know someone who would enjoy today's episode then i appreciate it. i'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help spread the words about the uh, podcast and definitely check out Preventic Psychology, available in all the usual places. And it's available in audiobook format. But if you didn't want to buy a book, be so willing to give the podcast a bit of like one-time support, then please check out buymeacoffee.com at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Conway3. So have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. And if you want a free eight book psychology box set, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.